the Auto Parent Podcast with my mom. Hi, y'all. Pastor Casey here. I am so excited for episode 20 of the Auto Parent Podcast. It is our first video podcast, and I'm so excited to welcome Raymond C. Pierce, who serves as the president and CEO of the Southern Education Foundation, where he leads the organization's historic mission of advancing educational opportunities for African-American and low-income students in the Southern states. Prior to joining SEF, Raymond was dean of the School of Law at North Carolina Central University in Durham. Pierce earlier served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights as a political appointee in the administration of President Bill Clinton. During that time, Pierce also served on the White House Domestic Policy Council Working Group in the development of the Empowerment Zone and related economic and workforce development policies. Pierce began his career as a civil rights attorney in Little Rock, Arkansas, with the John W. Walker law firm. Mr. Pierce has served on the Council of Legal Education of the American Bar Association and is a past vice president of the North Carolina Bar Association. Mr. Pierce has served as an appointed member of the North Carolina State Banking Commission and the Board of Directors of MNF Bank and MNF Bank Corp., where he served on the Audit and Corporate Governance Committees. He is a permanent member of the Fourth Circuit Judicial Conference. Mr. Pierce earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Syracuse University, a Juris Doctor degree from Case Western Reserve University School of Law, and a Master's of Arts from Duke Divinity School. I hope that you enjoy this conversation, and I'm so excited that you get to meet my wonderful, amazing, and as you've heard, ridiculously accomplished great friend, Raymond Pierce. Enjoy. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast, episode 20, uh, which is a very special episode of the show, and I'm so, so excited. Um, I'm your host, Pastor Casey Van Atta Casebeer, and y'all know me, so it's time to get to our special guest for this episode. Our special guest, as you've already heard in our intro, is Raymond Pierce. And he is our first guest in a series called Friends of Duke. This is gonna be a Friends of Duke series and I can't wait for it. Um, Raymond is a dad also. Uh, so welcome to the pod, friend. It is so good to see you. It is so good to see you, Casey. I, I, you know, just seeing your smiling face, I'm just so glad to see you. How you doing, Casey? I'm doing good. I thought it might be funny after, you know, I've already read them your like page and a half long bio in the intro to tell them that I gave you a nickname really <laughs> early on, <laughs> like when yeah. we first met, um, not knowing all of your history and all of these wonderful, amazing things that you've accomplished, I decided to start calling you Ray Ray, which feels a little disrespectful. Um, but it's it's my nickname for you forever. I'll always call you Ray Ray. It was a term of endearment, and I <laughs> you made me feel special. <laughs> you and all the other people in the classroom who who ganged up on me. But we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. M mostly because you're always late. Is that still a trait that you have? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember that one time that your shoe broke and you were flopping around <laughs> campus all day? 
one of those interviews. <laughs> it, it is. You're welcome. No, um, I'm only messing with you. So funny, though. I remember that uh, that shoe incident like it was yesterday. I actually think I still have a video of it on my phone. If I can find it, we'll share it with the with the listeners. <laughs> I still have the pictures when we climbed to the top of the tallest building on Deuce campus, which is the church, the steeple, uh-huh. the bell. We climbed to the top. Yeah. Pictures. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Like it was yesterday. And I remember like how many stairs there were. And you kept asking right. me if I was okay. And I was like, Raymond, if I have to keep talking, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> There was no, there's no elevator yeah. up there. There's no elevator. You have right. to walk. Tight, confined space. That was a, that was, yeah, that was interesting. Um, okay. So I have some special guest questions that I always ask. And with you, I wanted to ask the same questions that I usually ask. And then I wanted to ask a couple more because I'm excited to hear your answers to these. So the first one is, what is your biggest pet peeve? Um, ah, let me see. That's a good one. That's why I was looking for my cheat, my cheat sheet. What is my biggest pet peeve um gardening and um um you know deer getting into my garden you know deer and rats (laughs) into my animals getting into my garden my daughter would always say daddy they have to eat too (laughs) no no not in my garden so that's one of my i guess that's my biggest pet peeve. the older i get the more i cherish my garden and I just, you know, these deer, these rabbits, these squirrel and anything else, I guess it says my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> I forgot that you were such a big gardener. Yeah, I can oh, understand I- how that would be annoying. I can't keep anything that's green alive, but I am keeping my humans alive. So that's good. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about, okay, maybe one of or the hardest time that you've ever laughed, if you can think about it. And I always say this, it does not have to be a good story. That's actually part of what makes it so great. Um, So can you tell us a time where you've laughed really, really hard? Oh, let me see. Um, Actually, it was kind of recently reminiscing with um, one of my cousins and um, a time when... um, it, it, the joke was on me, as is always the case. You know, <laughs> you're not the first. <laughs> was um, when uh, we were in Mississippi, and which is my parents' home, and my dad and my uncle and my cousin and I, we were all we were I mean, we were all all fishing in the backwoods of Mississippi, and she was a little older than me. She was like maybe a teenager. I was eight or nine years old. And my dad kept telling me, don't get too close to the water. Don't get too close to the water. Of course, I got too close to the water. And we had just seen a snake down and it was swimming in the water. Yeah. And so I slipped, of course, and fell. And for some reason, somehow, I, I, my cousin says I stood up on the water. <laughs> But as soon as my feet touched that water, I was so scared of that snake that I jumped jumped up off the water onto the bank. And and so, you know, of course, she describes it and, you know, it was just hilarious. It just had me going. So that just that, that, you know, 
just the image of me falling, jumping out of that water, just just made me laugh so much. That was that was the most recent time I laughed so hard. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm so, I'm so glad you shared that with me because I'm totally visualizing it. Um, and yeah, no thank you to snakes at all. Um, okay, so I wanted to think about specific times in your life because you have this like wonderful and amazing life that I love hearing stories about. Um, and I love hearing about how your path has sort of been shaped um, by faith, by family, by all of these things. Um, so I wanted to know if you could think of a time where you learned a lesson about not giving up. When I graduated from law school, took the bar exam the first time to get my license to practice law and did not pass the first time. Mm. And um, I was really devastated. Um, and of course, you know, I wasn't thinking about the fact that a lot of people don't pass the bar the first time. I was just thinking, you know, I didn't pass the bar the first time. What's wrong with me? All my friends and classmates who had gone to law school passed the first time, at least I thought, and they were getting on with their careers. And um, it was this friend of mine, his dad was very close, was, was always nice to me. and. Um, and um, we went to a high school reunion and he was there and uh, I told him how, how dejected I was that I didn't you know, pass the bar exam the first time. He really gave me this strong, hard lecture about not giving up and it just inspired me. And I, I, I went back and I studied hard and I passed the second time. And, um, hey. and I just learned so much from that. I thought, you know, wow, you know. Yeah, you know, if you're if first, you don't succeed, try try again. You know, I didn't succeed the first time, and, and that really, I had heard that before. If, if first you don't succeed, try try again. I heard that so many times, but I had never really thought about it. I had not applied it to my life. But when I did that, um, I just did so much for my confidence, and um, I never was afraid to fail after that. I never was afraid, you know, to to fail uh, because of that of that of that experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Such a such a wonderful example of of not giving up and and how that's sort of put you on this it's this path that you're on. So um, the other thing that I wanted uh, to see if you had an example of was a time when your faith was challenged. <sighs> you know, um, probably um, when. Um, you know, I saw my parents drifting apart and, um, um, you know, my mom and my dad went their separate ways when I was in my junior year of high school. And I just couldn't think that would happen. You know, this, you know, I'm 61 years old and, you know, I'm a child of the sixties and parents weren't getting divorced, you know, back then, you know, you heard about it, but you know, that wasn't really happening. Um, and my mother was a strong, you know, church woman, strong in the you know, black Pentecostal church and, and not so much my dad, but, you know, <laughs> he, was, he was still OK. I just didn't think that would happen. And, and so uh, it was happening in front of my very eyes. And, um, and I prayed heavily about that as a young teenager, you know, and uh, and and then it happened. I'm thinking, you know, God, why did you let this happen? You know, you know, mm -hmm. why would why would you do this? Why would you know, Lord, why would you let this happen to me? and my sisters and my family. And, you know, um, years later, I began to realize, I, I, as I got older, I realized, you know, mommy and daddy probably need to be a, <laughs> go to separate ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, it probably was for the best that they went their separate ways. Um, but at that time, I just I couldn't see it. And um, I just felt that, you know, God had let me down, you know, that, uh, you know, we had a great, wonderful family. And, you know, we were, you know, as people say, God fearing people, we were going to church on Sundays. We were in Sunday school. Um, I was saying my prayers. Why would God, you know, mm-hmm. take my mother and father and take them apart? Yeah, I relate to that so much. My my parents are also divorced, and it happened when I was a little bit older. Um, and so it was, it, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a, a crisis of faith. And it, you know, it's also taken me uh, quite a quite a few years to realize that they are indeed better apart. So when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's uh, that's such a you know revelatory moment that I'm super grateful for. Um, but it definitely didn't come out come through without its, um, without its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember I met your mom, Casey. I remember I met your mom. She came to the campus you did. once. Yeah, yeah she nice actually day. was, she actually was a guest on the podcast early on, um, which is, is yeah. pretty funny. Um, but yeah. yeah, you did meet my mom. She's and a huge Duke have- fan. So yeah, yeah. So are you. <laughs> yes, I am. Thank you. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, Okay, so now uh, the the last question that I want to think uh, about with you about a time in your life when you feel like God showed up, and it was apparent that God showed up. Our first child uh, was born premature, and mm-hmm. uh, and it was really a bad situation. My wife had a very challenging pregnancy. She had a severe case of eclampsia, you know, which is, you know, a secure, mm-hmm. severe case of toxemia. And so um, it was an early birth and, you know, I nearly lost my wife and my son at the same time, right there in front of my eyes. And it was a really, really bad situation. And um, um, I was just praying so hard and, and, you know, it just was doom and gloom all around me. And, you know, my son was in a neonatal intensive care unit uh, what they call a NICU unit, and um, and I was just praying so hard. My mom um, caught a plane from Mississippi all the way up to Cleveland, Ohio, to be with me uh, during that time. And uh, she prayed with me. We prayed, and my goodness, you know, Zachary came. Our son came through. My wife came through. Um, I made all kind of promises to God <laughs> after that, <laughs> and. Um, uh, and I just, you know, I, that was just, you know, the doctors even said there was just a big miracle. And um, so you can't tell me God doesn't answer prayer. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been, I've been part of it. So yes, yes, that 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 was the one. And I look at my son now, and you know, he's he and his wife are about to have their first child, and you know, hey. it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be a granddaddy. You know, <laughs> so uh, yes, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'd say well, that I've had, I've had several others too, but, but that's the first, that's the, the, that's the biggest one for me. Yeah. It's, it's so strange doing this now after, you know, however many years and, and figuring out how we relate to each other so much in a different sort of way. Um, so with my second child Riggs, I had this feeling about him 
and I don't know why, um, but I had this feeling really early on that I didn't know if I would carry this baby to term. Like I just had that sort of feeling. Um, and so I kept telling my partner, Greg, I kept telling him like, don't get your hopes up. Like I, I don't have my hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Like it was kind of like a pre grieving sort of like <sighs> trying to manage my expectations sort of thing. Um, and I found out at about 37 weeks pregnant that I had way too much amniotic fluid and that I was measuring, you know, so much bigger than I was supposed to be and that um, they would have to induce me. And when we asked them, you know, why they said, well, it's possible that he has no, or at that time we didn't know he, he was a he, but at that time, um, when we did the ultrasound, they said, well, you know, we don't know if his kidneys or liver or anything are functioning. So, you know, we don't know if you're going to have this baby and he's going to live. And, um, it was, it just, it validated all of that fear, <laughs> all of that, you know, worry at the beginning. Um, and so basically we didn't know if he would be okay until we got to hold him in our arms and he was okay. Um, yeah. and there was so much prayer and so much like, um, hope and expectation for this child. And, um, I know that doesn't happen for everybody. And so there's not a second that I take that beautiful curly headed boy and his smile for granted. Um, so yeah, yet another way in which I find myself relating to you. Um, and just echoing like everything we know to be true that God shows up in and amongst, um, our children and in parenting. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I'll say amen to that, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, that also was the the child I had in, in seminary. Um, I was so I think it, <laughs> yeah, yeah was pregnant with her second child while we were in school, and she still graduated valedictorian. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Say it again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know, Casey. Did you get a few other awards at graduation? I did, but we don't have to go there. We don't. Okay. Um, yeah, all the what matters is that down the road, she's getting all the awards. <laughs> <laughs> what matters is that we crossed that stage in Duke Chapel yes, during baccalaureate <laughs> together. And it was beautiful. Um, okay. So now we're going to do a segment which is, it's one of my favorite segments. It's called Parenting Fails, Confessions, and Wins, um, FCW. And I thought it might be funny if I did, because they they hear my daily fails, confessions, and wins. So I thought it might be funny if I did a seminary edition, since you were there for that. Um, and, you know, you can offer up whatever you have. Um, so I'll go first. We're going to start with Parenting Fails. Um We've already alluded to this, but I'm just going to say having a child in the middle of seminary, like, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I actually thinking? <laughs> it was, oh, it was something. It was really something. I had this like younger child and also this newborn baby. And I, I guess every waking moment that I wasn't, you know, writing papers, I was spinning with the newborn child. And um, I remember Cash coming to me and saying, okay, so on a list of most important things, it's school, because you always are saying that you have to do school, or mm -hmm. it's work, because you're always saying that you have to be at the church, but then it's rigs, 
And so I think daddy is going to be my favorite. <laughs> I was like, oh man, with the gut punch. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how much balance there was when I was managing all of this, but I don't, I really, I'll just say it again. I don't know what I was thinking having a child in seminary. And I will just say that daddy is not his favorite anymore. So I'll take that. Um, okay. So can you think of like a parenting fail that you want to share with the podcast? Yeah, I will. But before I do that, I have to say, I, I was there with you, Casey. And prior to that, you remember, I had been dean of a law school for seven years. And so I had seen yep. many students, you know, women students, you know, who, you know, had children while they were going through law school. And I always thought that was, you know, tough, you know, um, yeah. Like a couple of single moms, you know, doing that, making their way through law school, having children and never missing a beat. Uh, my own little sister, she was married. She went to Marquette Law School and graduated on time and had her first child doing that. So, but it wasn't until I was a student with you <laughs> and added to it. I said, this is, and you, you handle it. I'm not trying to flatter you, Casey. You handle it so cool. You know, to so, so, you know, at least you may have been fooling me, but you seem so calm. <laughs> you got one kid hanging on you and you got another one. <laughs> you're pregnant with another one and you're doing all this work. And my goodness, you graduate the top of the class. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, well, let me say this too. And, and you said that about single moms. Yes, I want to echo that 100%. Like, I would not have been able to do any of the things that I was able to do if I didn't have a loving and amazing partner. Like, just period. So, um, yeah. Okay. Now you have to share a parenting fail with us. I'm okay. So well, I, 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 hands down, I think my parenting failure, um, and my son has said this um, many times when he was younger. My our second child, my daughter, is the baby. To this day, she's 25 years old. I call her baby. I, I can't help myself. And um, and my son once said to me, he said. Daddy, you let Carmen get away with things you would never let me get away with. And, you know, he was right, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I did. And when she got older, I, I began to recognize that the discipline that was in my son um, wasn't at the same level in my daughter because mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I wasn't as strict on her, which would have been to her own good. Now she's done well, she's graduating college, you know, got a full scholarship to go to grad school, she gets straight A's. But um, I just, I know as, as a parent, as a father, that I would have been able, my influence over her would have been much more if I had been a little bit more strict with her like I was with my son. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with my son, it was just totally different. Um, you know, I told my son once, I think he was five years old and he was outside, maybe younger. He was outside playing and his mom wanted him to come in the house to get ready for dinner. And so I went to the door and I said, Zachary. And he he called from the street with his friend. He said, what? <laughs> and I said, come here. <laughs> and so he came here. And I said, from now on, if I ever call your name, you don't say what, you just come. <laughs> you just <didn't. laughs> yeah, it's not. I don't care if I don't want anything. If I call your name, you drop what you're doing and you get to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not what. Don't ask me what you, what, I, what I want. <laughs> just show up, and then I'll tell you. 
See, I never would have done my daughter like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so I don't know. So that that's you know, that's that you know, it's too late now. So, you know, some people say <laughs> I spoiled my baby. So hey, maybe I did. I I, I had fun doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I'm going to employ that, like, don't ask me what you come here and then I'll tell you. I'm going to call it the Raymond rule. And I'm going to do that with my boys. <laughs> you got to get them early, though. You got to get them early. That's right. That's right. Okay, uh, so now we're going to move to parenting confessions. And people often ask, what's the difference between a parenting fail and a parenting confession? Um, and I always say that confessions are more like, the secrets that we keep or anything that we might feel a little bit guilty about or things that don't necessarily, you know, wind up as parenting fails, but more things that we like keep from our kids. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. Um, this isn't really something that I kept from my kids, but it is a confession and it's about breastfeeding. So just prepare yourself. Um, so while we were in seminary, the first child, so when I started seminary, Cash was like, six months old, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been breastfeeding cash up until that point. And then I don't know if you remember this, but I got shingles. The first. Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like our second. Um, it was our second term. Yeah. Um, I got shingles. It was awful. It was so, so terrible. I completed the week. I was in so much pain, but I had brought all of my breastfeeding gear and stuff to, to like pump while we were in class, like just take a break and go pump or whatever. Um, and I quit Raymond. Like that's my confession. <laughs> I quit right then during that term, I was like shingles and this nonsense and I just can't do it. And so if, I don't know if there are any you know, moms out there who are feeling guilty about like quitting breastfeeding or not being able to continue it. Your journey is your journey and whatever choice you make is your choice. And it's, it's beautiful to be able to, to feed and um, do all of that for our kids, but there are all kinds of moms who make different choices. And so I just wanted to say like, here's my confession. I did not push through. I did not carry on. Like he got all he could get for six months and then it was just over. So there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about if mine's is is you know rise to that level, but I, I do have a confession, and um, right, um, and I knew better, and um, but I did it anyway, and I kept doing it. Um, I had heard um, before Zachary was of school age, I had heard somewhere on more than one occasion that parents should not do their children's homework, and I'm thinking, who would ever do that? You know, who would ever do their child's homework? I said, my mother and father never did my homework. And I, and I would, I'd hear stories about that. And I, you know, I had a, um, one of my college fraternity brothers. Uh, he had a child, he and his wife had a child long before we did. And, you know, um, he talked about staying up late, helping his son do the homework. And I think that's crazy. My mother and father never looked at, they looked at my report card, but they never looked at my homework. They never mm -hmm. helped me with my uh, I don't know what got into me when my son <laughs> got to grade school. Uh, I, I just started helping him with his homework to the point where I stopped myself. I'm, I'm doing this homework for him, and then it got out. Of, <laughs> and then it got out of hand. I started doing his science projects, and I just started getting. I loved it. I'm thinking this is my science project, and I looked up one day, and Zachary was sitting in the corner while I'm doing his science project. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I, and I, for several years and I kept it was like an addiction I tried to stop 
you know, every year I'm doing the science projects and in um, his book reports. I'm doing all his book reports and everything and, and trying to train him how to do his book reports. And uh, yet I was the one who was telling people, never do your child's homework, never help your child with their homework. That's crazy. They got to do it themselves. Yeah, (laughs) it was pretty bad. That is so funny. It also like is quintessential Raymond, because as I like, as I just sort of think about the trajectory of your life, like anything that poses to be some kind of like challenge or something that you can like dive into, like you're there. So excited. Like I've just watched as you're like you're now you're teaching a course at Duke Divinity School like you're just doing all of these amazing things because like your brain if it's still for like five seconds it's like already doing something else this is why you have a seminary degree it's amazing and such an inspiration oh Casey thank you it works both ways it works well you're the inspiration I'm looking at you right now I'm thinking wow No, no. Um, So anyway, yes, that does. I guess that does qualify as a confession, but it it does make me laugh because it's just a little bit of you, too. So, um, okay, now is my favorite part. Mm -hmm. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Parenting wins. Um, And I always say this doesn't matter how you get them. If you get one in a series of fails, if you get consecutive ones, we'll take wins however we get them. For me, my seminary win, you probably have already guessed it, is just surviving. Like (laughs) the fact that I was able to survive to come out on the other side of um, this degree program and to work and to get shingles twice and to Mm -hmm. be still be able to parent and have kids who know me and like it just feels like a huge um a huge huge win uh so so i'll take it (laughs) what you got uh same thing casey i mean i didn't of course i wasn't bearing a child uh while this was going on but you know i was you know i i i didn't say i retired but you know um i i I, you know, when I left the law school after seven years, um, I went into an entrepreneurial endeavor to build a company with some guys and that did very, you know, okay. So um, that's when I decided to go to divinity school because I figured I have mm-hmm. time on my hands. Uh, but halfway through divinity school, I get offered, you know, this position that I'm in right now to, you know, to, you know, run the Southern Education Foundation. And so I took one term off. Remember, I took a term off. And um, oh yeah, yeah. I took one term off. You and I both. We took term. That's yeah. Yeah, I was worried that you wouldn't come back. So I was so glad that you did. Yeah, you know, and um, I got here to Atlanta and try to you know get this thing going, and then I I came right the next term. Man, it was hard, and you know, but we did it. You know, I did it, and you know, I'm not trying to flatter you, Casey, but you know, you helped inspire me with that because you came back from your pregnancy and did it. You Mm -hmm. know. And, you know, we lost, remember, we lost a few people in our class, you know. we lost Yeah, there was people. quite a bit of attrition, yeah. Yeah, it didn't come back. And so, and it was hard. I was taking classes in this office. I, mean, I just remember that. In my office right now, I was taking my class yep. in a year. You know, I think my staff was, thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my classes, trying to figure to finish this thing. And, um, but we did it, in, you know. And um, that was, you know, I just felt so good about that and showing up at graduation and, you know, something about graduating from seminary is different from graduating from, I don't know, what a, any other graduate degree, law school, medical school. It's just different. It's just the, 
you know, the ceremonial. I mean, it just it was so meaningful. It was just so deep. And you're graduating in a chapel and this, you know, this majestic looking place and all these people. And I just really felt humbled and good about it. So, yes, that's uh, that's 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 my feeling there. Yeah. Do you remember um, Chuck Campbell's sermon? Because I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so, so powerful. Loved it. He spoke spoke to the times, didn't he? He sure did. Yes, he did. Yeah. I also remember... I also remember that uh, J. Cameron Carter and Willie Jennings showed up. And this was after they had left Duke, but they showed up to um, Hood or, yeah, Hood, one of their um, doctoral students. And I was like so starstruck. And we were in the parking garage and um, we the, the kids were like running around or whatever. And I didn't approach them because I didn't want to be like that kind of fangirl. But um, J. Cameron Carter got in his vehicle and Cash wasn't paying attention. And he ran across the street and Jake uh, across the, the street in the parking garage. Um, and J. Cameron Carter slammed on his brakes it, because he Cash was in the middle of the street. And so I was like, Cash, for as long as you live, you will always know that you almost got run over by like one of the most amazing liberationist theologians in the entire world. <laughs> um, um, and he doesn't know that story, but I feel like I should tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a fantastic time, uh, Casey. It really was. I, I'm glad you bring it back some good memories here. You really are. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been a segment called Parenting Fails, Confessions, and Wins. And I want to remind you that you can submit your own Parenting Fails, Confessions, and Wins to the podcast. You can do that um, with a voice memo, or you can just type them out and send them to us on Instagram or on Twitter at AutoParent. And now it's time to do a little something different. This is our Get Real segment where we read the lectionary text for each week and we get real. Our lectionary text for this week comes from Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14. And here it is, not in the New King James Version, Raymond, in the New Revised Standard Version. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, 
Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Amen. 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 So let's just do some initial reactions um, from the text. So I'll ask you to go first. Just any initial reactions that you have from from having heard that Ezekiel text read aloud. My mind quickly went to the time period, that sixth century. BC. Um, you know, the Hebrews, Ezekiel, and the Hebrew nation was ancient. And, um, you know, his prophecy was during the sixth century BC. So this is before, um, you know, Babylonian captivity, you know, some of the other Assyrian conquering, you know. Um, but, you know, those, those people of God had already been through so many other. Um, yeah historic events, um, um, constantly being, um, be, you know, sought upon by other nations, you know, that were surrounding them. And and then they would rise up and, and do well for a while. And you know, we know the consistent theme throughout, you know, the Old Testament. Obey God, things go well for you. You don't, <laughs> things don't go, That's things right. go bad. And so these prophets were saying over and over again, you know, um, know you're not doing right you know you've forgotten the ways of god get your act together and if you don't something bad happened to you but this particular one is different you know here ezekiel is talking about in my opinion he's uh, what i get out of this is these are the bones of a once flourishing people who were doing very very Mm -hmm. well um who for reasons lost their way um, disobedience, uh, failure, you know, following other gods, uh, whatever, you know, immorality, just, you know, not doing right, you know, mistreating one another, you know, when I say immorality, you know, just, just, you know, oppressing other people, hoarding everything, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like what's happening now, <laughs> you know, you know, the rich getting richer, you know, the you know poor getting stepped upon, you know, everything is, you know, the Old Testament, you know, it's a constant thing. And here is the prophet saying, in my opinion, the way my interpretation of that is what comes to me is, look, um, you know, (laughs) I don't want to say make America great again. (laughs) No, please don't say that. (laughs) I I wouldn't say that. (laughs) But, you know, uh, actually, the the absolute absolute reverse of that. Here was... Here was, you know, a, you know, a, a good, strong people who were blessed by my people lost your way. 
But I say the word, and you know, you turn back to me, and what did I say? Do treat your fellow humans right, um, yeah. love thy neighbor, care for the sick, uh, share, uh, be fruitful, multiply, love one another. You know, everything. You know, that Jesus eventually had to come and say. Um, and you know, and I'll put muscle and flesh back on these bones, and 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 resuscitate you, and resurrect you, and bring you back to life. It's you know, it's somewhat of a a simple you know formula, you know, for for resurrecting you know what has you know was once you know blessed by God to be good and healthy, but you know we for some reasons we just don't we just don't do it. We just don't get it. We think we can figure it out ourselves. Uh, I, I, I put it in the historical sense. I think of when that when Ezekiel was prophesying and what was going on around the, you know, 6th century BC would have been what the 500 somewhere, 500 BC. So what was going on right there? They, you know, they, the Hebrews were still, you know, every 150, 100 years, you know, being conquered by somebody, being set upon by somebody, and, mm -hmm. and oftentimes because of, um, you know, distancing themselves from from God. Okay, y'all. Okay, listeners, do you see why? I mean, among all the other things, right, of, of amazingness that Raymond is, like, I have missed so much exegeting scripture with you. Like, it was one of my favorite things that we would do together. Um, you just preached a whole sermon, and I'm here for it, if I'm being honest. And one of the things that you said that strikes me uh, as something that I hadn't really thought about, because I've heard this sermon preached um, on this text multiple times in multiple different ways. Um, actually, one of my first thoughts was um, we had to, when we were in Old Testament, uh, Dr. Anathea Portier-Young preached a sermon yeah. on this particular text that we had to listen to that was so, so powerful. But the word here for, for breath, right, is ruach in Hebrew. Um, mm. And to think of that um, as love, to think of that ruach as, as um, love being imbued into this um, sort of dead and desolate valley of bones and to think that what what actually literally connects us in our bodies biologically <laughs> are molecules of love that we can breathe love that we are composed of love and that our um our calling our vocation is to love one another and that that's what resurrection is. That's what restoration of community looks like. That's what um, turning over the tables of oppression looks like. Um, th that real, true and pure Christ-like love um, has no space for broken bones of any kind especially those that have been broken at the hands of police brutality or at, at the border in cages, or, I mean, just like over and over and over, I'm thinking because of what you were saying about love, about how that, how beautiful that, that image is to me. And it's something that I'm, I'm not going to forget. So thank you for that. And you know, Casey, I don't want to take over this thing, but you know, um, when humans or man, humankind, Sometimes when they try to uh, bring life back to those bones, sort of like, you know, something out of a Mary Shelley Frankenstein book, you know, <laughs> they pull together, you know, some old bones and they say, okay, we'll make this, you know, bring this back. But they do it by exclusion and hate. 
you know, yeah. not from out of love. You're not out of everything you just said. Not out, not just going back to the basic creation God formula, which was, you know, rock, which is breath, which is love. You know, peace of God is love. Yeah. You know, you do just love one another. Just, you know, everything will work. You know, but if you say, okay, we're going to bring this back. We're going to make this, you know, where it was. And that means we got to cut these people out I and mean, we got to limit these folks over here. We got to change the rules <laughs> over here to preserve our piece of what we understand this is, as opposed to what's best for, you know, all of life. Um, you know, all life is special. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, this is, this is good. Because love is life abundant for all people. If, if there is a sibling among us whose life is not abundantly full and whole, um, mm -hmm. then that's not community. That's not community and it's not love. And if, if our, our faith story tells us that to love God, we have to hate or oppress or disenfranchise our siblings um, of any kind, then maybe it's time to take a look at that faith story and, and determine whether or not it is a faith story of the God of the universe who has cosmically orchestrated this entire thing to bend toward love and justice and peace. Mm -hmm. Interesting you use the word Ben, and I think of um, uh, Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr., yes. Reverend Dr. Martin King Jr., and I'm right down the street from where he preached, uh, Ebenezer yep. Baptist Church here on uh, Auburn Avenue in Atlanta. And of course, he said, you know, the arc of justice is long, but as you said, it bends towards justice. Um, yeah. And you mentioned it's not community. It definitely is not beloved community. And, and the reason why right. I bring that up is... Um, I remember reading after the Montgomery bus boycott, 1954, uh, right about the same, just before the United States Supreme Court made its decision in Brown versus Board of Education that said that segregating and separating people on the basis of race in public education is unconstitutional. At that same time, while that was being go going on, Dr. King and his church family were in the streets of Montgomery, yeah. uh, walking to work um, to, uh, you know, to protest having to sit in the back of the bus because of the color of their skin. And uh, when they brought that bus company, when the bus company finally capitulated and said, okay, we give up. And it was a lot of the, um, the shops downtown Montgomery, the stores were saying, okay, we got to stop this thing. Sounds familiar, you know, when you get the, <laughs> the business involved. And the church won. And, and black folks now did not have to go through this continuous humiliation of getting on a bus with you know rows and rows of empty seats, but still having to go to the back <laughs> and sit. Yeah. What did Dr. King say? What did Dr. King say? He says, well, "Let's not celebrate this, okay? Let's not you know spike the ball, okay? Let's not say ah ha na 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 we won." He said, "Now is the time to reach out to the people on the other side and remind them that we're all one in the eyes of God." Mm -hmm. And become what do you say? Beloved community. This is all about being a beloved community. So you may, you know, your siblings, you know, you may have siblings that have mistreated you and done you wrong. Um, and you know, you may have to call out their wrong um, and ask for their correction. But once they're corrected, you know, you got you got you got to return to family. You got you know you got to return yeah. to beloved community. 
likewise, you'll always be at war. You'll always be at odds. You always have this acrimony. And this over here, them over there, which, you know, unfortunately, I believe too often characterizes the situation right now. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking earlier, you made me aware that you wrote a, I guess it was an op-ed for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution um, about hope. Is this right? About from the George Floyd protests? Yes, and actually the, the ghost writer of that is in this room. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my, my public, my communications director, we helped write that. Well, I, I dictated it. But yes, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution called, I guess it was around this time, no, a little, almost this time last year when the riots uh, came to Atlanta following George Floyd and we had another police shooting here in Atlanta and uh, young people got out in the streets uh, protesting. And here you are in the South in, a, in a, large, a large city with a large black population and the overwhelming majority of kids were out in that street were young white kids, you know, protesting what they knew was wrong. Uh, it was so uplifting to see, you know, you know, you know, the, 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 the the multicultural, I mean, Asian students, white students, black students, Latino students out there in these streets marching against hate and against wrong. And um, so the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is the town's largest newspaper, and I think the largest, in the, one of the largest in the Southeast, if not the largest, asked me to write an op-ed. Um, and the question was, do I think that the protests uh, were a sign of hopelessness, that these these young people felt there's no hope, so let's go out in the street and make some noise. To which I said, no, um, it's actually a sign of hope. These young people would not be out in these streets, you know, on a you know, Friday afternoon if they didn't think they could change things, if they didn't think they yeah. could have, if there was some hope. So no, th that was a sign of hope. And, and thank God, thank God that young people because um, um, my gender, we're old, you know, but thank God for the old <laughs> people who, you know, have the energy, have the hope, have a feel, have an understanding and a spirit inside of them that says that policy is wrong, this is wrong, and we have to say something about it, and we're going to get on the streets, and just because I'm comfortable in my life, um, um, you know, it doesn't mean that I have to stand by and watch somebody else's discomfort or watch injustice against somebody else. So I, it was, to me, a large sign of hope. I, I see good things for the future, um, particularly because of the young, this, this younger generation, Casey. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard for me not to make a connection between some of George Floyd's last words and many, many, many of those people of color who have been brutalized by police. Uh, Eric Garner's last words: "I can't breathe." And to think about these these protests and this sign of hope that you're speaking about as a prophecy to breath, to new breath and to new life, and continuing to to breathe that that ruach of love um, yes. back into beloved community, and it doesn't it doesn't raise those beautiful human beings up from the, the ground in a literal way. But what it does is it allows beloved community to continue to tell their story and to continue to work for sustainable change so that they become part of the ethos of what it means for us to love one another and catalysts for that even. So yeah, thanks for sharing that because it's giving me a whole new... Um, sort of 
way to look at this this dry bones text? You know, I tell you, Casey. Um, well, two things. One, um, this may be the third time you brought up that word ruach. Uh, when I graduated from divinity school, my wife gave me this leather bound book, and it had uh, twenty five Hebrew words you must know, and ruach was the third word in there. And, yes. And you, <laughs> and you know, and I know, we learned that. Um, you know, things get lost in the translation sometimes <laughs> and yeah. words in the Hebrew and the original text meant something more than, you know, what, you know, what, you know, the Vulgate and the Septuagint did, you know, the Greek and the Latin was the best yeah. effort they could <laughs> trying to describe, yeah. you know, what this meant to, you know, the people who originally wrote this and it was written in Hebrew, which is why I respected our professor that you mentioned. Uh, Anitia mm -hmm. Porter Bright, because she would come to school, class with a book in Hebrew. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I still have um, mine beside me. <laughs> and it would blew my mind when she would do that. But you're absolutely right, Casey. I, you know, I just look at the the narratives. You know, my, my, and my wife and I were talking about this yesterday on Easter Sunday. We were talking about, um, you know, resurrection and. Um, and within the context of, you know, the Holy Trinity and trying to get your head around, you know, God in three persons, you know, that whole, <laughs> you know, how you going to figure that one out? You know, I, I think Diane, my wife, she said, you know, but he says he's going to, you know, you've seen the father, you've seen the son, he's here, but he says, I'm going to go play, prepare a place for you. She says, how can he be, you know, all that stuff, you know, everything <laughs> the church has argued over and the theologians, you know, for centuries. Okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing is undeniable. And you look at the Old Testament and you look at the narrative of the Old Testament, you know, creation, covenant, you know, can't get it right. You know, so flood the earth, start all over again, <laughs> you know, can't get it right. <laughs> you know, send some prophets to tell them, hey, look, y'all going the wrong way. OK, Lord, we'll yeah. get right. You know, but they don't, you know, destruction, desolation, famine, you know, you know, find the scrolls. You then you get another, you know, king, good king that comes up and says, "Okay, you know, I rent my clothes. Let's get right." And they start worshiping the Lord again. But they go down a bad path a few years later, and another prophet shows up and says, "You're going the wrong way." And then you get to the New Testament, and there's none of that. <laughs> there's none of that. It's God incarnate saying, "I love you. Love mm -hmm. one another." Okay, please, you know, I'm going to take this hit for you. Okay, you just can't seem to get it right. So let's not worry about that. I'll, I'll, I'll be crucified for that. You know, I'll wipe that slate mm -hmm. clean. But just love one another and, and, and care for one another. That's the thing. And so it's so simple now. And if, if you can breathe that, if you can just let that be the breath, you know, that love, you let that be the breath into these old, because we've been around a while, you know, this is thousand, you know, you know, since Adam and Eve, we've been around a while. And, you know, the bones can get a little dry. And if you're going to nourish those bones again, the only thing that's going to nourish them is nothing that, you know, some man-made, you know, human-made construction of laws and rules or anything. It's love. And I personally believe that's the business we're in right now. You can develop policies that embrace love and fairness and justice. You can do that in equity. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole word, as we say. And I think that's what um, I would love for us to end on because that was unbelievably powerful. Um, would it be okay if I said a prayer? Amen, sister, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pray. God, for my sibling in Christ, Raymond, I am so unbelievably grateful. 
as we continue to traverse dry terrain, God, we may feel parched. We may feel fragile. We may be able to see the erosion of hate and oppression everywhere we step. God, give us a thirst for love and quench our thirst with grace abundant and continue to wash over us the baptismal waters that tell us to resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. The baptismal waters that remind us that we are yours, that we are whole, and that we are equipped to carry your love out into the world. God, we prophesy breath over these dry bones. We prophesy breath and ruach and love over racism and xenophobia. God, give us new life, new life in love. Bind together our bones and our sinews and our skin with love. And God, give us enough grace to go around and give us peace that we might be able to work as we wait for the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. For these and all things we pray together in the name of the triune God. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you, Casey. God bless you, sister. Thank you, Raymond. I'm so glad that you were able to do this with me. I love you so much and I feel so, so grateful. (laughs) I'm going to go look at my pictures of you and me on the top of that church. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the last thing that we do is we do a parent mantra. And so our parent mantra for this week is, I have hope. I have hope. Because friends, if you don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince your kids. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. Join us next week, same time, same place. You can find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, www.foundryumc.com. If you're specifically looking for information about our family ministries department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash family ministries.